0: Hi, I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and today I have a great guest with me. I have Natalie Abutaha from D.C. She made a new rescue. Welcome, Natalie. It's a pleasure to have
1: you. Thank you for having me.
0: So, I was intrigued. Uh, we met at, at, at uh, the Lucas and Barubi event, and that was exciting and You had shared with me at that event that you were not just doing uh, dog rescue but that you were really focusing on doing dog rescue at uh, at a totally different, different level when it, when it really came to helping to restore those animals health from the inside out. And that was intriguing to me because I've been in, involved with rescue my whole life. However, the rescues that I've partnered with have not necessarily completely focused on internal well-being like you have. So I was so excited for you to share your story with all of our listeners and readers here at Mercola Healthy Pet. So thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me. So um, we, like I said, like you said, I started DC Shiba Inu Rescue about six years ago and as an offshoot of that, um, we also have what's called Positively Primal, where um, we explain all that scientific information in uh, easy-to-view cartoons and, and posters. And our focus is on the canine microbiome. So we, that's the foundation, is the canine microbiome, and then also nutrition and um, the diet as the foundation to help.
0: And so first of all so let's back up and first start uh about how you got started or how did you um usually we come out of you know a rescue situation with bigger and better ideas uh yeah. clearly the breed is close to your heart but did you yeah. was there just a need in your area for a rescue so you started one how did that come about
1: yeah so i have a uh, shiba inu who uh is very actually very aggressive so i did a lot of reward-based training and there were two um shiba inus in a shelter near me and uh, I I began working with other Shiba rescues, we found out that they were getting put to sleep at a high rate in our area. They tend to be uh, a breed that not other rescues want to touch. So um, that's how we started the organization. And one of those first Shiba Inus, um, Katniss, my dog Katniss, who's the neutral assessment dog for the organization, she actually um, developed uh, canine atopic dermatitis and I used to feed kibble. I used to do annual vaccinations. Um, I put all the money into being a great pet parent and she became bald and had just, it, it was horrible. I felt, I felt so embarrassed and, and such, a, like, such a bad owner. And um, I bought over a thousand dollars in tests and serums, antibiotics, steroids, and I still have them six, seven years later in my refrigerator. Um, I didn't accept that this dog would have to remain on drugs for the rest of their life, and continually get worse. So I delved into um, into human immunology and learned about the microbiome and developed, uh, which is nothing new, all the information's out there. Um, people in functional medicine understand that the foundation of health is you know, in our gut. Um, we look at intestinal dysbiosis, increasing mucin layer, uh, uh, reinforcing um, tight junctions, and um, so that's what we did. We started working, I started going to microbiologist conferences um, and implementing uh, all these protocols to increase the diversity of the microbiome. Um, since then, her first couple of years were rough. She had some outbreaks uh, annual. It's now four years. She hasn't had any issues. She has the most beautiful lush coat. And we actually make an effort to go out and get um, Shebas with severe canine atopic dermatitis. And these are dogs with documented cases. We have some with over 10 years of medical cases, some spending $10,000. So this is these are the end of the road dogs. We bring them in, we take them off all medication, and we focus on building their microbiome. And we have a hundred percent success rate with this program. It might take us six months or a year. And the more immunosuppressants that there are, there they have been on, so oh, back up, the more immunosuppressants that they have been on, it appears that it takes us longer. So if they just had antibiotics, I'm adding three months onto that. I mean that creates intestinal dysbiosis. It, 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 there's so many issues with it. Yes, they're life-saving. Yes, we do use them. But it, I mean, the the uh, CDC says that human prescriptions of antibiotics is uh, at least 30%. And the ABMA just started an antimicrobial stewardship uh, in January of 2018. And they're saying that our companion pets have over 50% over prescription of antibiotics. So that's just one of one small aspect of of tools in the toolbox that we're looking at and using and looking at alternatives because the building the microbiome is the foundation of what we're doing. And of course, I call them microbiome monsters. There are things in our environment that are destroying our guts microbiome. So these chlorine cleaners, the dogs walk on it, they lick their paws, that's destroying the microbiome. You know, everything are sprays, so the dogs have 10, 10,000 times stronger olfactory senses than humans. All the volatile organic compounds in the house, all the chemicals, they land down on the ground where the dogs are, they sniff that in. So our program, we have an online support group for all our adopters, fosters, volunteers, uh, with over 350 people, as well as some reward-based trainers and holistic vets, and we have a support group. So when people adopt from us, they don't just go away. This is a closed group where we share all the science that hey, these are the little things you can do. And it's overwhelming to think there's so much. I'm also um, trained as a lead AP leadership in energy environmental design, breeding buildings in um, Washington, D.C. So I have a strong understanding about the environment and how that affects with humans, employee productivity, sick building syndrome. But that's even more important for children and small animals who are, you know, constantly ingesting these, these chemicals that are destroying the microbiome. So it's, it's a multifaceted approach. Um, I always like to say this isn't a, a magic pill. Um, it's not that, oh, I just fed raw and now things are magical. There's, unfortunately, we're finding a lot of issues with a raw diet when, um, when people don't take into account uh, their nutrient requirements. I think sometimes we're missing these essential nutrients um, and in, even things like antibiotics can now inhibit assimilation of B vitamins. Um, glyphosate, you know, your aromatic and amino acids. Um, it can disrupt the beneficial bacteria in the gut, acromantia, uh, fecal bacteria, and and then increase the pathogenic bacteria um, such as uh, Pseudomonas and um, Clostridia. So there's so much to consider what we're trying to do is take a a big global view but act locally act very small we're we're not to put this effort into helping the world which you're doing is incredible i don't know how you do it but we we have well-trained small support group that if people have problems we can help them with their dogs so our allergy dogs or atopic dogs they stay off drugs we see them every week i board back a lot of them so we know that they've had one dog had 10 years on drugs 10 years and he came into our our rescue at 10 years old he's now in his third year the most beautiful coat you would I mean Matoshi it's just gorgeous so um so our success rate goes beyond our adoption so definitely
0: part of my beautiful gift that you're giving to to everyone that you're talking to is the fact that you you are working with a high, um, a high maintenance breed, uh, you know, where there can be, you know, oftentimes they are misunderstood and they may have, you know, they, they I would agree that they are a dog that tends to be put down more because yeah. of behavior issues that were not addressed appropriately or healthfully early on. So you, but on top of that, they have high, uh, they have their high risk medical assessment issue as well so you have a dog with maybe not the easiest to work with that is really sick those dogs are first to be euthanized. so I so admire everything that you're doing because you're giving people hope with a grief that otherwise may not have hope but you're also saying to them I'm going to partner with you and I'm not going to abandon you after adoption and I think that that oftentimes is what happens or people say I don't know enough about because I don't know enough about what's medically happening with my dog to, to do this on my own. And they don't have to do it on their own. So yeah. you're really providing this amazing experience, uh, not only for the dogs, but for the people at the other end of the leash. So i so yeah. respect so, Natalie, when you get dogs into your into your Shiba rescue, is there a a protocol that you tend to follow as you go through? So, is it so Go over a little bit about what happens when a dog comes in. Like, do you first do you do a detox, or how quickly do you switch diets? Or to talk a little bit about how what the process is.
1: Yeah. So that's a, that's a great question. Um, we uh, we used to feed kibble and um, raw about six years ago, and um, some foster homes would go on vacation, we'd take that kibble dog, put it in a raw home, and that dog was then moving upstairs without any medication. I mean, we, and within 30 days, the coat would be incredible. I mean, this was over now 400 dogs. We've seen incredible benefit. So about um, six years ago, we uh, committed to being 100% raw feeding rescue. And um, it it isn't easy because it it is more of an expense. So um, I have to say there's an incredible team. We have six directors uh, that are experienced and kind of do this for, so the media director is a media director for for her living, Um, you know, our adoption director does HR. So there's a lot of uh, talent that comes into this. Um, We have three core philosophies. They're force-free, reward-based training. Um, Nutrition, which is species-appropriate, nutrients-dense, diverse, and rotated, clean, raw diet. There's science behind all those words. And the third aspect is the environment. So some of the toxins that we're talking. And having these three core philosophies as the foundation, we do them in assessment, and we also do them in placement. So when the dog comes into the rescue, every dog has a minimum of two-week assessment. That's for behavior and for um, medical. Now, of course, um, I take severe medical cases. We might have them up to a year. Um, Behavior, each each of these issues, we have very experienced, sometimes we'll pay for um, reward-based trainers to train some of our fosters, so only more experienced fosters um, will get more difficult dogs, or I, I work a lot with reactivity. But then placing those dogs, that we have an entire adoption team. They have to read some of your material. <laughs> um, on tra- we have training information, nutrition, and then they have an interview process. So we look at each dog as an individual. There is no blanket statement, you need a backyard, you need this, you need that. If we have uh, atopic dermatitis dog, we want an adopter who's committed to, to the raw diet and is kind of a self educator and wants to learn about nutrition but if we have more of a reactive dog we want somebody who really understands the concept of reward-based training and learning theory and who will we have training contracts they're required to hire a trainer that we approve and um, and then we have that support group so each dog has different requirements our puppy mill dogs might require a fence backyard because we don't want to traumatize them <laughs> by putting a harness on every day. So we take that time, a minimum two weeks, that's for the really easy dogs who don't need, um, you know, too much behavior modification or, um, you know, fixing. That's, then they become available and we write the details. Um, but those more behavior issues, we really have to make sure it's this lifestyle. Are you having parties every weekend and the dog is people reactive? It's not a good fit. But if you're a couch potato at home and the dog is too, that's a good fit. So we really always look at each dog as an individual and then emphasize those needs and characteristics in, in the adopter that we're looking for. So you know we've we've kind of been called out is oh you have to everybody has to feed raw your, your rescue is so strict our, our one do not we have no leeway is on reward-based training we don't believe in hitting abusing dogs and there's no leeway on that but we do accept people who are going to feed kibble Amazingly, they'll switch over. To <laughs> they're in a group, and they see what happens. Where they, they, um, you know, have an issue. At least most people do. So, um, you know, it's, it's we look for the best possible home. On all things being equal, it would be ideal. But they're going to look at their home environment. They're going to look at their their training. They're going to look at nutrition. But you know, we are a rescue. We require public funds, and we can't hold dogs, you know, indefinitely. But we do we do our best um, and with an amazing uh, media team to find the right home for each dog.
0: I think that that's what it is neat that you are doing in terms of a more progressive proactive rescue is you're looking at a physical well-being emotional well-being you're looking at relationship well-being and then you're and then you're there for them post-adoption to make sure that that animal continues to have success in the new environment and I think that that's just massive I really do in fact have you had other rescues what I think about is how you we need to use this as a template for other Rescues. Have you had other rescues approach? Yeah. It's a really successful system.
1: Yeah, we're, we're actually working with some other Shiva rescues and, and I was approached um, locally to start training in a larger scale other rescues on um, some of these concepts because uh, I think rescues and breeders really have a huge voice in, in what will happen to these dogs once they're adopted and um and i've I've create i haven't made it public but i've created a group um with some trainers in it that we're trying to put break these concepts down and um and, and be able to hand it over to other rescues ideally like i said working on a small level and having rescues all over the country do this is is would be my goal um it's not to we rescue all over the country. We ha- we handle Georgia to, to Pennsylvania. There's um, other Sheba rescues, but just any rescues in the country to, to take these concepts. There's no regulation saying, you know, what type of standards that, um, that needs to be in the organization. We have, we actually have a lot of standards of, for our organization. We only support local businesses. So we don't have adoption events at the big box. I don't know if I should name them, but we only have adoption events at small local organizations that do, that do not hold, do not sell um, shop collars or prong collars or any aversives. So we work with a lot of boutique places, and of course they have to sell raw food. And when we come, they sell out of raw food because all our volunteers know how to talk about each of these different uh, products. And and I, myself, I talk to all the, um, the manufacturers of the raw foods that we use. And um, we also work with nine local organic farms. So I reached out to the farms. I mean, this is right an expensive thing, but we work as a community together. So I was donated a very large double screen um, freezer from one of the small boutique uh, raw feeding company. It was just too big for my basement. I have eight freezers as it is. And uh, so I called one of the local organic farmers and he's always wanted to run it. And I was like, hey, do you want to do a barter? Donate some food to our organization um, and you can have this this freezer. Freezer, so we're helping each other. We get a lot of donations um, from the local organic farms. You know, nobody's feeding their dog sirloin steaks, but the most nutrient-dense, rich, biodiverse foods are in those organ meats and the offcuts. And we, even if it's some freezer burn, but we get all of those. And so when I do make um, uh, homemade diets, which meet uh, NRC's, you know, basic nutrient requirements, if not ancestral. and diversity is huge. You know, we're we're getting that diversity from eight, nine different farms. So it's building a community support and, and we do happy hours. We only do these at small local businesses. We don't use them at big box. So there's a, a big broader concept about your community and working together because it can't be done right now the way the industry is a multi-billion dollar, you know, kibble industry where it's it's the money is coming from all these subsidized foods you know what are what's being subsidized it's corn wheat soy and those are the human waste products if you look at the economy it's not feasible that one large company is going to do raw it's just not feasible the way for this movement to succeed is to get local support your local businesses work with those local businesses support those small farms and even in my backyard, as far as the greens of vegetation, I grow everything in my backyard. I'm right outside D.C., a quarter of an acre. I've created garden um, garden patios for my friends. Our D.C. So our wellness group, the support group, We ha- everybody knows to create edible herbs for the dogs. And they'll show on their balcony in the city in D.C. all this food that it would cost so much money just by growing these variety of, of vegetation and green so that you can now spend more money on um. You know, more more appropriate meats and and proteins.
0: So inspiring across the is. It's just healthy, healthy, healthy. Especially when you think about some of these animals coming out of less than ideal circumstances. You're really providing a means of restoring, you know, emotional health, physical health, but also community health, community well-being. It's really a beautiful system that you have laid out. What do you do, Natalie, when you get? Dogs. In fact, I know that this this is common because the breed is plagued with a lot of atop, atopic dermatitis.
1: Yeah,
0: they, they a dog comes in and the rescue organization, the foster mom says, this is this is an incurable case mm-hmm. of, of skin issues."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Have you had cases that you've had to try this approach and then switch and try this approach and then oh. switch and try this approach? So this, like you know, so I I tell my clients, they'll say, "Well, when do we stop trying?" And my response yep. is. No. We
1: will never stop them. Oh my gosh, yeah. That one is, there's so many underlying issues. So it's not that magic pill. Um, So if there's, one of the things, we want a diverse microbiome. And here's just one example. Resistant starch is great for um, creating butyrate. It's a beneficial short-chain fatty acid along with acetate and propionate, and that helps build the mucin layer, what we want to do. However, if the dog is missing the bacteria to convert resistant starch into butyrate, it then converts it into ammonia and you have more issues. The same thing can be seen with SIBO and fermented foods. The ferment actually exasperates the issues and creates more dysbiotic and histamine. I mean, I could go on for hours. Um, the ketogenic diet, with if you have metabolic endotoxemia, lipopolysaccharides can be more of an issue than if you had a um, firm uh, uh, tight junction, etc., cetera, and, and mucin layer. So yeah, we look in yeast issues. Every underlying issue could, might be different. So our dogs can be treated, and it, it, we're in a, a, I could call it a scratch and sniff phase, because we don't have the money to do the diagnostics that I'd like to. And, and we do, we're in a well-to-do area, so we're able to raise funds. I'm huge on measuring, measuring everything. We sequence the gut microbiome. I, I know you've spoken to Holly. Um, we've worked with her um, you know, on, on the genus level. It's, it's not exactly diagnostic, but it's good to see what is going on in the microbiome um, that can kind of give us a hint. If there's a yeasty dog, we might be treating that differently. Um, Some things work very quick. We had FMTs work like that for some allergy dogs. For others it didn't. My guess is again uh, the intestinal permeability. Too much bacteria at once gets into the system and you'll have a worse reaction. So we might need to do a 30-day reconditioning on, on clearing that gut intestinal permeability, or if we have yeast or an overgrowth where you know we can smell it. Again, I, I would love to do every diagnostic to identify all the underlying causes, but um, we do specifically targeted antimicrobials or antifungals, and we rotate them, especially with yeast, which mutates very quickly. So we'll do like um, a, a very quick, two-week rotation and see how that works. We've even done photobiomodulation um, with chlorophyll. You can increase mitochondrial function. Um, Dr. Hamlin's a, a great researcher looking into that, and that can regrow hair. It, we use so many different techniques, um, and it's amazing that certain things work with certain dogs. You know, it, FMT might work immediately with one dog, but it didn't do anything for the other dog. and this we have a massive paradigm shift in the world of health where we looked at organisms as individuals with these organs but we now see organisms humans and dogs and cats as holobionts or super organisms that are made up not just of us genetic human genetic or or canine genetic but we're now one-to-one you know microbes and uh our own genes so we've never looked at medication on how it affects the microbes, we're always saying, okay, this is how it affects the mammalian genes. So an example, glyphosate. Glyphosate is not harmful to mammalian genes. It is harmful to the microbes that are in our gut. It is harmful to the microbiome. So yeah, everything, you know, we, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's, I think, searching for writing down, one of the things I tell everybody is write down the history, take pictures, when are the flare-ups, what are the issues. We've discovered one dog had issues because they were in mold, a moldy house. Um, You can't fix a car that's sitting in the water and replace all the parts and expect it to run if it's still in the water. You have to take it out of, you know, the lake, let it dry, and then you can change the the parts and get it to move again. So um, that's an example of a dog that, that wasn't getting better, it was in a moldy home. Uh, you know, identifying what are these environmental triggers, what are the food intolerances. Um, though I have <laughs> I'm, I'm, food intolerances, I believe we can eat those foods and we consistently do it with all our dogs because diversity is key. You don't want to give them something they're intolerant to initially, but we can cure these intolerances in humans um, you know by slowly introducing and we've been able to do it in the organization too. So there's, there's many approaches and, and we do. Awesome.
0: So once you get animals over the hump of a lot of these hypersensitivities, once you heal the gut, you've been able to reintroduce proteins and have them nap yep. been on. They, your dogs don't have to stay on exotic proteins their whole life. Yep. They can go back to chicken or beef because
1: you've every, the gut. Every dog. Every dog, Dr. Becker, every dog. And this is a huge thing. Um, I think a lot of people are missing the oral tolerance, understanding how, um, how that happens with the protein going um, through the intestinal wall and then having this response. And there's a whole thing that we can pre- prevent all this through the hygiene hypothesis. If we introduce these bacteria, these commensal microbes that we have lived with for thousands upon thousands of years, Early on, we train the immune system to not go haywire when it sees it later in life, or we may get an assault. What I've, what I've been doing, I like to track the data of the dogs that we get in with the issues. I keep seeing antibiotic use and then all these issues within three to six months. So those are things that we, we need the vets to say, start practicing antimicrobial stewardship and saying, let's not, I've been, I go to almost all the vet appointments, especially if there's severe medical um, in Maryland, Virginia, and D.C., that's at least dozens upon dozens in the past seven years, and I cannot tell you how many, we work with wonderful holistic vets, but we can't afford every dog to go to one all the time, we're a So I can't tell you how many fights I had where it's like, oh, just give the dog an antibiotic. And it's like, but I, I what, what, the dog just had stress diarrhea for a day. And, you know, I get in fights like, oh, well, it might have giardia. Well, why don't you test for Diardia? I mean, we'd literally get in fights for this. And, um, you know, there, there's this mentality about just hand if, hand out drugs like candy. And it's not that we don't use them. Because I want to emphasize, we do use antibiotics. We do, there, there is a place for steroids. There is a place for antibiotics. But it shouldn't be the first line of defense. And, and that needs to be um, education, that there are all these alternatives. And we've never used them. And we work with the most severe, Not. I mean, in CID, I don't mean we've never used them. That's, of course, not true. But in um, canine atopic dermatitis, We've never used them. The second they come into our rescue, obviously we taper off uh, steroids. We don't cold turkey that, but they all come off everything. And uh, we we focus on building up that microbiome, and diversity is key. A diverse microbiome is the number one predictor of health across all mammalian species. It's it's consistently shown to be a predictor of of health. Um, the Human Gut Project came out with a paper in March of this year, and Uh, It's the largest in 2007 to 2012, the largest project of sequencing the human gut. They showed that the number one predictor of health with low chronic diseases wasn't a vegetarian diet, wasn't a meat eating diet. It was the people who ate 30 or more plants a week, 30 or more Mm. plants. That's fascinating. It's the diversity. The number one thing we see in the longest living people is a diverse microbiome. The diversity is that of a 20 year old and we tend to lose that diversity with age. So there's two ways to get a diverse microbiome. The easiest way is through the food we eat. And it's consistently shown in humans, um, I'd love to see the canine studies, we have a couple that a processed food diet does not result in a diverse microbiome. It is a fresh food diet. And we're now starting (laughs) to see that in the canine microbiome, which I'm very excited about, um, but these, you know, we see it in mice studies and, and pretty much all animals. So, um, so diversity is key, and then the regional species pool. Another big part of our program isn't just diet; it's taking these dogs and getting them into the natural environment, getting them into dirt. Um, they're so they ha- we have what's called the farm effect in in, in the U- United States and Europe, where you're you expose. Um, people and animals to um, more microbes, they're less likely to have any allergic disease. In Japan, they call it forest bathing, and they've shown scientifically that you could take a walk in the city, the same people at the same rate take a walk in the um, forest, and their natural killer cells increase. I mean, there's beneficial metabolites happening within the body that we can't even explain. So a big part of our program is we're putting a list together, of um, forests and parks that don't have glyphosate that are pesticide free for people to take their allergic dogs and walk them in. We work with organic farms and expose them to, I, my dogs roll and poop all the time. You know, roll and poop, I don't want poop in my bed, but roll them. you know, go out and, and roll in. And we have studies that show this works wonderful, um, you know, in the natural biodiverse farms, but there's actually a reverse effect in the uh, factory farms children who are brought up in the factory farms actually have more allergies so there's there's this is why there's a holistic view that reductionist approach to the scientific method isn't working with the with our new genetic sequencing technology and our ability to see what's going on with all these microbes, we have to take into account so much more. So that's what our organization is trying to do is account for so much more. But um, I know it seems overwhelming to people, but the benefit is for the human too. This is so people are like, oh, I don't want to do that for my dog. You know, The benefit for you to go for a walk in the woods is good. Get yourself out there. So um, a lot of our doctors get healthier too.
0: And I think that that's a really important part to bring up is that this may if this is people's first kind of thought about a holistic adoption or rescue center, that may, you know, they may be thinking, oh my gosh, I, I volunteer at my pound and we're doing none of this. <laughs> tell everyone is listen you're you're kind of the gold standard for rescue in that you're thinking about literally creating uh environmental health within the gi tract, but physically environmental health you know within the microsphere of the home but also in the community as well so it's building health literally from the inside out and all the way up yeah but you got to start somewhere and it's as easy steve brown uh one of my nutrition mentors has said Every puppy needs to be eating healthy dirt by two weeks, and especially yeah. if they're predisposed, if they have a genetic predisposition to having allergies or topic dermatitis, it's really critical mm-hmm. that they eat healthy dirt early on. Absolutely. Now, the theory is there's no, we don't have the research yet, but we do know, of course, with kids, as you mentioned, that that's a really important aspect of, of establishing. Mm-hmm a healthy immunologic reaction that sets them up for the rest of their lives. And so if people feel overwhelmed about the conversation that you just had, just take your dog for a walk in a non-toxic environment and let them dig, let them roll around, let them be dogs. Because at the same time as they are decreasing cortisol, they're exposing their immune system to a set of microbes that are healing and supportive, and will do a fantastic job of beginning to rebalance out their system. And so, when people, say, I don't know what to do next. Go for a walk. <laughs> I mean, baby steps, baby steps. Yeah. And so, so you said two things. So I agree with you. Food, and actually, I have the pleasure and the honor of interviewing Misa, Dr. Misa Sandri and Bruno Stefanon, oh, wow. who are out of Italy. Yeah that did the uncooked and cooked raw study, and they found exactly what you explained, yep. that unprocessed food builds the microbiome, processed food can destroy the microbiome. So, mm-hmm. and, But then there again, that goes back to kind of what our grandparents told us, you know, eat more living whole foods, eat less yep. processed foods. So there's, a, there's quite a bit of common sense in all of this incredible wisdom you have. There's a whole lot of common sense, too. Yeah. What's the second thing, Natalie, that you when you say eat fresh food or eat more, you know, clean, living, whole, unadulterated foods and minimize the amount of processed foods we're feeding our pets? What's the second tip you would give our readers in terms of intentionally creating really good gut health?
1: Yeah, so um I made the mistake of believing being that diversity in proteins, um was good enough. <laughs> I think I told you about this, That kind of like that Waltham study. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we started out, yeah, yeah. I, I, I started out reading, um, you know, a lot of blog, I knew nothing about a raw diet, a lot, a lot of blogs, um, back when we started the organization and it was all meat, all meat. And, um, you know, I, I ended up, just going towards the scientific journal articles and and diving into that. And it's it's not on me. How we create diversity is actually through the plant matter. And so I started out doing the raw diet wrong um, in, a, in a lot of aspects, but we still got amazing results, you know, at the first early couple stages of, of those years. So in and of itself, that's kind of unique. Um, that what a fresh food can do even when done wrong. Of course, for a long time, having nutritional deficiencies, et cetera, is not something anybody should aspire to. So um, one of the things I, I just saw for my dogs, um, taking them on hikes is, hey, they're eating grass by, you know, river bends. That's where they deposit more minerals and nutrients. And even in my own garden, I've always grown food since I was young. As far as I can remember, my parents have always had um, a garden, etc. So um, I would notice my dogs like, pounding out to get into the vegetable garden and one of my dogs had an upset tummy and he was going to eat some medicinal plants. It was truly incredible. And sometimes I would take plants to the local garden center and say, what is this? My dog loves it. And I'm like, (laughs) you know, what could it be? And come to find out that it um, helps benefit the gut, you know, microbiome. So uh, uh, I guess I don't want to say a less expensive way of creating diversity is finding, um, you know, some clean sources of Protein, but diversifying your plant matter and your environment. There was a study, I think Finland or Switzerland, that showed that people who moved to near 30 or more um, indigenous plants decreased their allergies by a very large percentage. And they actually moved people. So um, again, it goes back to the 30 different plants consumed was the number one predictor in human health. We don't know the exact number for, for the pets, but this diversity of um, plant matter, of nuts and seeds, of things that when I watch my dogs and watch what do they eat from my garden, it's, it's incredible how they know these things. And I think we are so far removed from our food system that we think we need a double blind peer reviewed gold standard study to say, hey, the dog needs to have this in this quantity, which thank goodness we have those those tests that unfortunately killed a lot of animals to find out the minimal nutrient requirements so that there's more. And the science is showing that there, are these, these aspects of, of a diverse diet that we don't even know, it might be the microbes on the leaf, who knows? You know, There might be something to that, getting that nutrition in that environment. So uh, staying along the side of food, um, but diversity, and I think I told you, I don't know if you want to put this in. I did thir- my poor dog, Katniss. I test her all the time. I mean, I've, I've done every test you can imagine on her from her hair test or microbiome test. I did 30 days rotating over 17 different proteins for 30 days and some fermented proteins. And I sent in her, um, her sequencing for microbiome. And she was below the average of diversity of of dogs from the sequencing. Then I did 30 days with plants, not even 30 plants which I'm doing later, of plants from my garden, and she was way above the diversity of the average dog, just 30 days, and it's, (laughs) my dogs are now trying to jump on me, but it goes to show how much impact we can have on health in a short amount of time. So, um, doing these little little
0: (laughs) bits—these people think, "Oh, you know, I don't know, I can't afford an all raw diet." Um, You know, adding a little bit of adding a little bit of yes, adding a little bit of foods that we know are incredible for the gut can really make a big difference in overall gut microbiome health and i think that that's the other thing people think is i can't i can't afford to do sequencing you and like 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 you said with the rescue the rescue can't afford to sequence all of their dogs but there are some common sense things that we can do to intentionally provide um the fibers and the substrate needed for healthy gut to occur and i think that, that Unfortunately, we're not taught that in vet school. So people are going to have to seek out a functional medicine practitioner to get these types of answers. Um, do you have information on your website? Talk, talk a little bit about if people wanted to learn more about what you do and about yeah. this concept of kind of uh, incorporating whole health into rescue. How do people learn more about this?
1: Yeah, so our, our rescue website at DC Union Rescue or DCSER.org has the very basics of training and nutrition. And we don't, we wanna focus on adopting our dogs out. We didn't wanna overwhelm them with science. So the science is on the sister page called Positively Primal. And that is, I read journal articles, like, you know, most people read magazines from uh, from the grocery store. I sift through hundreds of scientific journal articles and I actually read them all. And I then translate it into Easy to understand science and that's how we do that in our closed group we want to keep our, our wellness group closed because everybody has a certain level it's, it's a support group for our doctors. but I'm taking that information and putting it on that public page so people can see what we're doing and my main focus on that is this isn't woo um, this is all evidence-based science it's just taking that understanding the paradigm shift that we're looking at at systems biology, it, which is a fancy scientific term for holistic, <laughs> okay? And we're looking at the holobiont, which is a fancy term for us and our, our, micro, our organisms, our microbiome, and um, applying the science, how it supports this alternative view that has been around for thousands and thousands of years. So the science is there to support this new it's it's called a new approach but we know this isn't this isn't a new approach actually taking a holistic view of an animal and that's on the positively primal page where um basically trying to everything is scientifically documented there there are just dozens and dozens of journal articles we do work with some really amazing um microbiologists who will be coming out with some uh pretty incredible studies on dogs too that i think is really going to help change the view and approach um to underlying issues it's there's i'm really excited just like i know you're working with a lot of people so we are working with some microbiologists that are helping us out um with um some products and and programs we we use uh bacillus spores to for intestinal permeability um so we have some some companies working with us again i i'd really like to reach out to you know some of the the trailblazers in this field, whether it's, you know, Jacqueline or Billy at Answers or, um, you know, the Kieran at, at Megaspore. So there's a lot of different people who are who are making a huge difference. So going against the grain, the status quo is going to take some some time and some money, but it's coming out. The science is there. Well,
0: and so, I, there's this big gap. There's this, the, the researchers there are for the human side. Well, yeah. And I well, 20 almost 25 years ago the term dysbiosis was they said that's human care and do not bring it in because that theory in small animal medicine if there's no science there yes. you know and as you mentioned the science is coming it's slow yeah. but the great thing about what your organization is doing is the science is there for humans we're lugging along 20 years behind in veterinary medicine but then mm-hmm. there's App where you are translating human yeah. studies uh, and making them applicable for dogs, which are, which is, we're all going to benefit because yeah. as you have built in little t- rescued test cases that you're capable yeah. of not just dramatically improving their quality of life, but we're all learning from those test cases. Yeah. Awesome. It's really awesome.
1: Yeah. And, and there's actually starting to be a lot of good canine studies coming out. I mean, we're looking at what does Acromensia municipala do, do in the canine gut? I mean, there's pages and pages on that. It's getting there. Metabolic endotoxemia that's coming out soon. You know, these things are coming. And it's not even this, the review articles that are out there now even state that the canine microbiome is a good candidate for humans. Why are they saying that? Because they're going to start, unfortunately, testing on the dogs. To you know, pretest for drugs for humans, but they're saying that it's already there. The science is there. So I regularly, you know, say when I'm making this claim, here are the journal articles that already said this is we we're already making this claim that intestinal dysbiosis. Now, um, obviously, dogs have a different level um, for for some of these lipopolysaccharides and stuff, um, which is why these these new studies are coming out. And I, I would love to have a farm to do all the sequencing and, and testing. That would be my goal, is to get that, that that environment to do these incredible things.
0: Well, you are doing a fantastic job of um, dramatically impacting every single four-footed fuzzy life that your organization is helping. <laughs> but also being this beacon of light to other rescues that are looking to incorporate um, you know, proactive living, functional yeah. foods, as well as helping to get those animals coming in either off of medications or onto safer medications. And, and you're really putting uh, an effort into role modeling how that can be done. And I really appreciate that. So Natalie, if you, if you could help the world um, know one thing, I mean, I know you're wildly passionate about helping if but if you could tell the world one thing or give them one bit of wisdom or advice, what would it be?
1: I would say uh, try to connect in your community and um, connect in your community for educating about nutrition and the microbiome and get start groups, start local groups. I think this is huge, is, is your community, is you think on a global level, but you act on a local level. So the one thing is, is go, any of your information, take that one thing and focus on it for a month with your group of educating people. Um, you know, we pick out an, a, an herb to add in and what are the benefits or a plant or a protein and learn every month we do, um, you know, a nutrient and learn about the nutrients, say zinc, and how can you get zinc? What are novel ways? Start a weevil farm. Weevils have lots of zinc. Who knew? And they're really cheap. I'm going to try and grow weevils, <laughs> by the way. So I'll buy them from you, please. Yeah, right? I,
0: I'm like, how do I start my yes.
1: weevil farm? It's yes, not I- just they're potassium, they're fatty acids, they're incredible. And they're, they you know, they're great sustenance in, in some countries, yes. but looking at just learning, how do you add this one nutrient? And, you know, I went through iodine with the group, um, the other week and ha- heavy halogens, how they displace, you know, bromine, fluorine and fluoride, um, just by getting a double reverse osmosis and a fluoride filter, I was able to reduce my dog's thyroid medication by a point. And I've tried for four years, everything, everything, and nothing reduced it except focusing on removing the halogens in the environment, in the water, in the food. And it dropped an entire point within, I've been testing every three months for a year. We're at the year mark. It's still down. So take one, I know that site. So my one thing isn't one thing, it's to constantly pick one thing and learn about that one thing with a group and then go on to the next thing. And your site has, I mean, we've been using it for our adopters is here's, here's a one thing and it's explained so easily for people to understand and focus on that and learn about that. And then it will, and, and apply it and then you move on to the next thing. And then it's not so overwhelming. It's small bits by bit, so my one advice would be do everything one thing at a time. <laughs>
0: It's great advice, Natalie. And what you're doing, what your organization is doing, what your passion is in terms of empowering people to make excellent decisions by understanding um, their role and how they can be better guardians in their environment for their animals. You're connecting the dots for lots and lots of people. And I really appreciate your willingness to share all you're doing with us, but also to inspire other rescue organizations, other people um, looking to learn more. It's quite possible. Yeah. You're a living walking proof of how you're changing hundreds of animals' lives through a really great education network and plugging people in. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Becker. I really appreciate
0: it.